0: This is it. The end of the Disney renaissance, and I can see why. Oh, don't mistake me. The animation is fantastic, and they do a lot of things right, but I feel like I should like this film more than I do. I'll talk a little bit more about some of the specifics of why I think that is at the end. For now, I want to talk about the... this cast is insane. We've got Minnie Driver, Glenn Close, Lance Hendrickson, Rosie O'Donnell, Wayne Knight, and Brian Blessed. Wow! Now, this is actually kind of funny. <clears throat> so, uh, originally, this was being pushed by Kevin. I'm going to go with Lima. That's what that looks like. Yeah, he's the one who actually ended up doing the film alongside his friend, uh, other guy. <laughs> I didn't write down his name. And they were like, yeah, sure. No, that's a good idea. And Katzenberg. Funnily enough, I, yes, I'm still referencing him. We're, we're finally at this point. It's been like four movies since he left the, the, the entire, you know, Walt, Walt Disney entirely. But I'm still referencing him. Because what happened is, actually, he was offered to do Tarzan years ago. But Katzenberg said, tell you what, why don't we go ahead and let some of our Canadian studios do it. Now, here's a problem. Nothing wrong with Canadians or Canadian studios, except when they're underfunded and amateurs and are being used to do, you know, lower tier stuff, you know, basically as a training facility kind of a thing. So it was basically, let's go let the noobs do your film. And he was like, I, 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 I no. Then Katzenberg left, some time passed, and Michael Eisner w- reached out to him personally. I was like, hey, so you want to do this at the feature studio? And he was like, yeah. So this leads, leads to this. Uh, this is actually kind of funny, though, because while they were making this film, Katzenberg actually tried to sabotage in his own little ways. The only way he was successful was he actually... So, originally, they got Woody Allen to play... Oh, God, I wrote down his name. It's the Elephant. I have no idea. It, it, no, no. Tarzan, no. Tant- it's like Tanto or something. I know I wrote it down somewhere. Yeah, it is Tanto, Tantor? Tanton. We're going to go with Tantor. Originally, uh, Woody Allen was going to play him. And they're like, yes, we got him. And then, <laughs> Katzenberg managed to successfully convince Woody Allen to go over, eh, work with DreamWorks instead. And we'll kind of fund some of your projects in exchange. And he was like, okay. So Woody Allen bailed ship and went to work on the DreamWorks film that was coming out at the time, Ants. For all the complaints I may have about this film, I've seen Ants, in the theaters. I think I think that was, uh, yeah. <laughs> interesting choice in hindsight. This is also interesting to note because Brendan Fraser tried out for the role of Tarzan. More than once. As a result, though, he ended up being pushed off to another Disney picture you might have seen called George of the Jungle. They also put a lot of work in this film. I mentioned the animation. I know that's a weird thing to point out, but and of course, Disney films usually have really good animation. But they actually put a very large amount of work into the musculature of the human body in order to make sure the muscles themselves were properly animated. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but believe it or not, this was the first time that has ever been done by a Walt Disney picture. And it also set a standard going forward. This is also kind of... I mean, obviously this isn't the exact bridge point, but... Computer animation was becoming more and more prevalent when it came to Walt Disney's pictures. Uh, This would obviously really come forward when it comes to Dinosaur, which actually came out a year after this film. But what I mean by that is I don't just mean CGI. I don't mean like Toy Story or Frozen or whatever you're thinking when you picture computer animation. I mean using computers for traditional animation, which is actually what most traditional animated shows do nowadays. Like if, if you've seen... South Park is a decent example of that. You know, that's, that's computers. They, they just, they have, they have it, dr- they draw it, they scan it in, and they basically paste it onto an object, which they then render around to make the whole thing faster. And that's kind of the direction they started going in with this film, and would continue to go in for several years. And it shows. This is also when they first started really using the deep canvas thing, which would really come through in Treasure Planet. No, really. Almost all of Treasure Planet uses deep canvas, whereas in this one, it was more of a test bed thing. Deep canvas is basically exactly what I just said. It was a way of allowing the artists to paint and draw a scene, and then it would paint that, um, I guess paint is the right word, paint that onto a three dimensional object, and then allow you to manipulate the three dimensional object. So, in short, it would look like it was drawn while it was being presented in full 3D. And this allowed them to do tons of stuff with the camera and allow them to use new techniques and blah, blah. You can see why the technical side of this film is actually pretty impressive. And I do legitimately like the technical side of this film. I'm with it. I'm down. What, uh, What I'm not down with is the plot. Oh. I should mention one other thing. This is one of the very few films I've ever looked at, which was a four-quadrant film. Now, I should probably explain that because it's such a rare thing to come up. So when it comes to movie studios and the money people and the people who decide how much budget a particular film gets at any given studio, they look at which quadrants it is. The smaller number of quadrants, the smaller budget. Pretty simple, right? Now you're probably thinking, what the hell is a quadrant? Male, female over 25 under 25 and that makes the the four quadrants of the uh, the demographics basically a film-going populace and that's how they divvy it up so you could see why you know two quadrant films or one quadrant films are semi-common I've never heard of a three quadrant film but I have heard of a four quadrant which is this one so it gets a much bigger budget And it's supposed to hit every demographic, so that means they also expect more return on investment. Now, this film did sell reasonably well, so it's not like they didn't get that. It's just, you can see why they're like, oh, okay, it appeals to more than one market. Then it better make more money or else, is kind of the attitude. And as I mentioned, uh, that was kind of a problem with this particular era of Disney filmmaking in general. Anyways, moving forward. (sighs) so i'm gonna go ahead and get something out here really quick i said there's two things i don't really care for this film if i was to summarize them it would be the music and the script but the script i want to talk about more later because it's 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 a pretty specific thing the music i'm not just this is so weird for me like i'm down with doing a, a reimagining thing i mentioned that with hercules i'm not even into soul or jazz or whatever that's not jazz. What is that? Uh, gospel music, I guess. Actually, I kind of do like gospel music. Never mind. The point being, even if I'm not into the music style, I can still enjoy it. But this is just Phil Collins. And, okay, I don't like Phil Collins, but I can tolerate it, of course. But then, then it's Phil Collins again. And again. Like, it was Phil Collins, the soundtrack, and it was weird. And I don't know, it just, it didn't work for me. It would be like... I don't know, it'd be like having a Final Fantasy with a bunch of J-Hop, J-pop in it. <laughs> and so the tone is so strange because it's like this da da, da 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 super uplifting music and, like, it's covering the deaths of people and, and the parents being murdered by a, a leopard who was actually supposed to be a jaguar and then they screwed that up too, but anyways. And then just and the murder of the baby the 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 gorilla baby obviously and it's just what i'm so confused by what i'm looking at here and that is the first point i'm going to mention about the script it doesn't seem to know what it wants to do it looks like they were just like okay we need to adapt tarzan now in typical Disney style, they're like, "Okay, we have to adapt Tarzan," and they were like, "Okay, the animals can talk." All right, what's the next step? And it feels like they never came up with a second step. So it's just kind of a straight telling. I have less to say about this film than I think any of the other ones. By the way, it's FYI. So uh, let's see. So they built this this place, this this mansion, <laughs> treehouse, with just the two of them by themselves, and filled it with so much stuff that had to have come ashore from the ship, which is insane, including a picture of them, I might add, uh, because that's a plot-relevant point, and, a, and, like, all this junk and clothing, too. Can't forget the clothing. And they do all of this in such a small span of time that not only was he a little baby when they left, but he's a little baby when they die, and she is, he is found by Nala. Or not Nala. I don't know her name. The mother, the gorilla mother. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. I, I think what actually happened is they got ashore, and he was like, Wow, the Robinson Crusoe used to live here. Anyways. <clears throat> or I guess that would just be the Carusos used to live here. So then at 8 minutes and 15 seconds, that's when the first bit of dialogue happens. Now I'm going to admit something weird. When I first saw this, I was curious if they were going to have dialogue at all amongst the animals. Because there are fairly long sections of them not talking in when you'd think they otherwise would be talking reacting. Instead, they just sound like animals. Now, this is doubly weird because Sabor, that would be the leopard, doesn't talk ever, actually. In fact, he's one of the only animals who has no attempt whatsoever at any kind of communication. We never hear what the little uh, baboons, I think, say. The little monkeys that steal uh, Jane's you know, picture book. We never hear what they say, but we do know they have communication because Tarzan communicates with them and then back more than once. So they talk. Why doesn't Sabor talk? It's okay. Sabor is probably a robot, if we're being honest, because he's a leopard and Tarzan grows up to adult age at least 18, probably closer to 20. And Sabor is still around and hasn't aged a day. I looked it up. The oldest leopard ever lived to be 23 sake of it. Anywho, that was in captivity, consequently, so obviously we don't know if leopards have lived longer than out there. Anyways, so then Kerchak shows up, and he's super paranoid about humans. This is the first of two things that indicate that he's actually interacted with humans before. That would have been kind of cool to get a little backstory there, or why he feels that way, but that's never touched on again, so that's just kind of a thing. He also does have a couple of interesting points. Uh, oh, it's Kala. I wrote down her name. Holy crap. He he makes the point that, you know, Tarzan is not a gorilla, therefore you can't treat him like one. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, as weird as that may sound. He can still be your family. He can still be part of your, your pack. It's just you cannot treat him like a gorilla because he isn't one. I mean, I'm all for inclusion and, and acceptance and tolerance, but when you literally are physically different, there are some certain problems that have to be overcome, right? I mean, that's just logic. This is immediately showcased when college just tries to put her. So they show the other is going up on the backs and immediately clenching in and being cool because that's what they do. So she puts him on the back like she would a gorilla, and he immediately falls, and she's like, Oh, God, you can't treat him like a gorilla. Duh. Anyways, so then we uh, have a thing where he doesn't fit in. Except for Turk, maybe, although she's also kind of a dick to him. And we find out that elephants are... <sighs> One of the things I'm going to be bringing up a lot is they didn't commit. They didn't go full out in a lot of ways. Like, they don't really go in-depth into anything. For example, elephants are portrayed as smart, and then they are immediately portrayed as stupid. Okay. I'm just gonna move on from that one, although I do like the whole thing. No, no, piranhas are only in South America. It's a nice scene, <clears throat> and this, of course, leads to Kerchak, who actually manages to save a small, uh, you know, a small child in the middle of an elephant stampede. Now it's cool; it shows how he does actually give a damn. But I just, I gotta say, I think Triton did this whole thing better, as the, you know, dark. I'm try- I'm hard on you because I care about you, father. Except secretly, I do care. But the thing is, if I can just com- directly compare Triton to Kerchak for a moment, Triton would get angry and yell, but there was always a moment of, uh... even after he destroyed her stuff in the uh, the grotto, he looks over at his shoulder and is like, oh, did I do the right thing? And there's just this grief on his face. You know, just that, that hesitation, that fear. And, you know, he's like, did I, was I too hard on her? You know, it was always clear that he really did care about her. Kerchak, that is super not true. Kerchak is just a dick through and through. In fact, Kerchak constantly says, you're not my son. So he's just kind of a dick across the board. He is, in fact, arguably the first real, uh, excuse me, antagonist. Unless you count Sabor, in which case he's the second antagonist. (sighs) So, our Tarzan just wants to be normal. I told you it's a thing. And then we have another montage with Phil Collins' music, of course, as Tarzan grows up. And then Tarzan learns how to use tools and the obvious benefits of that. He even learns how to skate like Tony Hawk. I'm not actually making that one up. They did literally use some Tony Hawk-styled moves for some of his surfing through the jungle. I'm not actually kidding. Anyways. <clears throat> so that would have been a nice thing to go on. You know, it's kind of... Uh, go somewhere with the story. Maybe Tarzan's ability to think and reason beyond simple <sighs> biological use would have been a cool way to to flesh out the story, prove his worth. But because even though he's different, he could still be part of the family because we still have the same heartbeat. And also, I can build homes. <laughs> like even at a bare bones letter level, he figures out things like the the ability to use the spear and the ability to to create shelter from the from the rain. You know, really, really basic tool usage that nevertheless is useful and none of the others do. That's what we are as human beings. I know that sounds so strange. We are tool users. We don't have a lot of natural advantages. We don't have tons of strength or claws or leaping or agility or or eyesight or whatever. No, you know what we have? We have brains. And we can use those to make things, to do things that we can't. So again, that would have been a great direction to go in. But nope, it's never even brought up again. So then Sabor shows up, who doesn't talk, and they have a big fight, and then Sabor's killed. Oh, okay, so I guess he's defeated now. That's neat. Ah, that's weird. I'm not sure where they were going with that. Okay, whatever. He then does the uh, Tarzan yell, which was actually done by Brian Blessed, because, of course, Brian Blessed was the one who does the Tarzan yell. He's Brian Blessed. You know, that whole thing. So then it's like he brings it to Kerchak, the the father who doesn't love him, who doesn't think he's part of the family, and shows almost no sign of it. This is the only reason I say almost, is this one scene where he looks like he might be willing to soften slightly. But then there's a gunshot. And then, oh. And then Kerchak is never a decent person again until he dies. I'll get to that when we get there. So at 32 minutes, Jane and the professor, whose name I don't remember, Uh, You know, Professor Porter and Clayton are introduced. So, she is a really good artist. She sketches some things very quickly that are astonishingly accurate. I'd I'd make fun, but I actually know someone in real life, in person, who can sketch that quickly and that accurately. It drives me batty. I'm so jealous or envious of whatever the terminology is of his skill. Holy crap. I wish I could draw like that. Anyways... You're probably thinking, oh, he's an artist, right? No, he's a network engineer. (laughs) He just, he's really, really good at drawing. Um, He can do it from memory, too. But we also introduced to Clayton. Now, uh, Clayton, the first thing we see with Clayton is, I was hired to protect you, and he aims the gun directly at Jane. What's gun safety 101, guys? Let me go ahead and say one of my other big problems with the script. There's no real strong antagonistic force. I mean, there doesn't necessarily have to be one overarching villain, per se, but Sabor was just kind of the the jungle, the representation of the jungle, and he's dead. And Kerchak, they can't seem to decide what the hell they want to do with him. And Clayton, he's a nobody. There's nothing interesting about Clayton. You know what his motive is? He's here to hunt gorillas because that's what he does for a living. That's it. That, that, that's it. He's not, it's not even greed. Unless you count making money in the gener- generic sense of the word greed. You could say, oh, he's trying to imprison those poor animals for money. Yeah, a lot of people do that. You ever been to a zoo? <laughs> I'm sorry for pointing this out. Obviously, he's not a good person. But the point is, he's just kind of there. In fact, he doesn't even become really antagonistic till the final act, which I'll get to when we get there. Right. This then leads to the big chase scene where Tarzan tries to save her from a very, very, very long action sequence. This is where the four-quadrant thing really starts to show its face because there are several scenes which I would consider padding because they are specifically aiming for a demographic that I am technically not a part of. So they're just kind of... I'm just sitting here like, okay... Okay, yes, it's very exciting. Let's let's go. I like a good action scene as much as the next person, but this was not a good action scene. It was way too long. Then we find out that his mimicry is basically magic. Meanwhile, the gorillas, who are looking for Tarzan, find the camp and make a mess. Or I guess they make music. Messic? Muses? Anyways, they make messic. And I made a note here that I really, really do like the animation. It really is top notch. Um, as usual, uh, she and uh, uh, Jane and Tarzan are super smitten with each other, of course. Although she's more smitten with him, which I find amusing in its own right. You'd think his hormones would be going right about now. But anyways, then I have a note here about Clayton's early intent, which is not really all that obvious. And I mentioned how we have three villains in this film. We have Sebor, Kerchak, and Clayton. This then leads to a montage. Now, in the interests of fairness, they apparently spend quite a while here. Several days, if not weeks. Which is kind of why they need to get going towards the end of the film. Because they've literally run out of time. The ship has to go back to port. That's how that works. There is a schedule for those kind of things, after all. So... At least the romance that develops takes some time to develop, and it's mostly not even of a romantic tint, it's just the two getting to know each other, and him, excuse me, her teaching him how to speak English. Which brings me to my point. He then learns English. Now I know he had excellent mimicry, but he learns English, and sentence structure, and grammar, and English. Have I mentioned that English is an insane language? I should know, I speak it. <laughs> I almost prefer the Pocahontas method. This brings me to my next point, and this is the final point I want to make on this point. The point point. The magic point. I've been pointing out how much magic is in each of these as we go, just because it interests me, and it's fascinating to compare them next to each other. This is as close as we get to magic in this film. The fact that the animals talk to each other, and the fact that Tarzan learns English. Both of those are probably not intended to be any form of magic. What do you guys think? Like, where's what, what are we going to judge on this one? I'm willing to be swayed either way, but I will admit I, I could see a fairly strong argument that there is actually no magic in Tarzan, uh, which on, on the surface level is like, okay, cool, that's cool. It doesn't have to have magic. And on the other hand, that's kind of a metaphor for the film as a whole, isn't it? There's no magic here. Anyways, by the way, quick aside, just for the hell of it, because I was really bored during the third montage, by the way, third montage, with Phil Collins' music playing over it, but, I was kind of bored, and I looked up something. Turns out that comet happened in eighteen eighty-two, or it, it passed by in visual range, which means we actually have a pretty exact date for when the film happens. People who are geekier than me have already proven how wrong that is. So that's just that's just script errors at that point. <sighs> so, um, I'm looking at my notes. What? Ah. Yes. So this is when uh, Tarzan takes them to see, you know, his family. He's like, you should totally stay here because he's an idiot. And they, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. And they do a little ooking fit and that, that's neat and all that. And uh, then one of the gorillas gets the gun from Clayton, which honestly should have gone a lot worse than it did, especially since they literally looked down the barrel of the damn thing. I wonder if gorillas ever have conflicting purposes. I suppose if they do, then the you know the gorilla royalty, or the pack dictatorship or whatever would kind of solve that, wouldn't it? If you don't understand what I mean by that, Clayton obviously is here to betray them. That's what we find out towards the end of the film. The others are here just because they want to see gorillas. I mean, they're they're science geeks and this is cool, sure. But they're at conflicting purposes and they have no central leadership. You can see the difference then between a pack of gorillas, a herd, if you will. In short, the herd has one leader, and that leader says what goes. The end. Everyone does that. Tarzan is pretty much the only exception to that. And the only way to do anything else is to challenge the leader, and then win, and then become the new leader. It's just interesting that there's still a very, very, very basic level of politics there that would help to explain why Tarzan is so unused to all of this. Thankfully, we have one blame figure to pin pin everything on. Clayton! By the way, you'll notice that Kerchak beelines for the gun the moment he sees it. That's the second of two inferences that he has encountered humankind and guns before. Would have been nice to see that backstory, but instead we just get some drama. So he's taken to the, you know, to the palace. (laughs) It's really well-appointed. My home isn't that nice. Well, okay, my home is nicer because I have indoor plumbing, but it isn't that well-appointed. And it's nowhere near that size. Anyways, and he gets dressed up. He figures out clothes really quickly. I'm actually pretty impressed. And this is where the script problems really come into play. See, for those of you who have actually read Tarzan, you know that Tarzan then goes back, you know, with everyone else to civilization. And that's where the next part of the story happens. That's also what was originally supposed to be in this script, originally the final act was going to be back home now they couldn't make that work because reasons and i I understand it's hard to do a final act in a circumstance like that you know that's that usually when it comes to filmmaking that would probably be you know the end ending or the denouement rather than that so they faced a choice they could chop the film off with him leaving. And, by the way, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that if you watch the film up to the point where he's getting on the boat, it really does feel like the end of the film, doesn't it? The sad music is playing, the final final thing is going, he's accepted who he is, and he's going to be with his new family, and just, you know, it, it feels like an ending, right? And then it just kind of keeps going, and then it just kind of keeps going, and then Clayton's like, Ah, I have betrayed you! That's because that really is just kind of grafted on there, stapled on, because that was the other choice. They could chop it off, or they could invent something new out of thin air, which is a lot weaker and doesn't really have anything significant in it. If it's not obvious, I don't like the finale at all. I mean, there's some decent stuff there, and as usual, the, you know, the, the animation is phenomenal. But uh, Clayton suddenly becomes the main villain, because money. I did a little math, because I was bored. Uh, It turns out that with the rate he uh, gave, which was 300 pounds sterling in uh, 1880-whatever, 1882, that would equate to, this is a rough figure because inflation only goes back so far, $9,562.62 per gorilla. Now that sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? Now I want you to think for a moment, because that's today money, how much money it would cost to hire all these people and to get them provisions and equipment, and training, and hire the ship, and then sail the ship, and you get what I'm doing with it. This is not a lot of money they're making. This is, this is not like, we're going to get gold! This is just a day job, which I make my point again, because it helps to show how Clayton's motive is just Tuesday. Which could work, except it probably wasn't planned. So, uh, Tantor shows up, and just kicks ass, which is awesome. How, how did how did the elephant climb the ship? I know we have to accept a lot of physics breaking, but an elephant climbs up the side of a ship. You'll notice they go out of their way to not show that because the animators couldn't figure out how to do it. Again, this was all kind of thrown together at the last minute, so to speak. Um... So the enemies show up and they're extremely effective in capturing gorillas. A storm happens, because of course a storm happens. And then, as per Disney usual, there has to be a final fight. Although this one is really short and really pathetic. Because um, Tarzan is better than Clayton in basically every way. The only advantage Clayton has is that he's got a gun. Which Tarzan takes from him very quickly and easily. And then he refuses to shoot him, because he has to be better than Clayton. Obviously. So then Clayton has to come after him with a... a uh... Oh, God, I, th- I know the name of that type of sword. and I can't think of it. Anyway, he comes after him with a sword. That's going to bug me. I'm going to get 15 comments of people just saying, it's a such and such. <sighs> that is really going to bother me. And he kills himself. Oh, not deliberately, of course. But he hangs himself unintentionally. Okay. And, and Tarzan's all horrified, but yes, welcome to death. You live in the jungle, dude. You are extremely familiar with death. You killed Sabor. Yourself, personally, deliberately. Anyways, then Kerchak suddenly won 80s and goes from being one of the main antagonists to, oh, I always thought of you as a son. Oh, you didn't. That is so cheap. There was no build up to that. There was no establishment of that. This is why I made that Triton comparison, by the way. Because the film made a point of showing in small but significant ways every time that Triton really was uncertain that he was caring and blah, blah, blah. They have done nothing to establish that for Kurtzak. He's just all of a sudden, You're right, because you're the main hero. Dead. And you're the tribe leader now, by the way, so you can't go back to, you know, whatever. Dead. Oh, so you should convince Jane and the professor to stay here, because that's a great idea. I can't even put into words how it is that she decides to stay in the jungle in Africa. Let's see. What do you think's going to kill her first? The animals, a random accident as she's zooming around, disease, or childbirth? Take your pick. Oh, and then the professor stays, because that makes sense. And you could see my problems. Like as soon as they dis- they shifted into new gear with the with the finale, it just felt like they were like ah, 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 and then happily ever after. Like they were just trying to throw whatever they could and had no well, idea what to do with it. And thus, the Disney Renaissance ends. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I want to look something up. Give me a second. I'm going to get a blind thing here. In my eyes. Oh yeah, that's bright. There's a reason I have these black things up in order to make it so it doesn't, you don't get the glare, you know, from when I'm uh, working on this stuff. So if we look at the upcoming Disney stuff after this, uh, so we have. Because I, I, I just want to talk about this briefly, because this occurred to me. So we got Fantasia 2000, which is just Fantasia. Uh, Dinosaur, which I didn't like. Emperor's New Groove, I very much like. So that's Emperor's New Groove. Then Atlantis. Eh, Lilo and Stitch, yeah, okay. Treasure Planet, yeah, okay. Brother Bear, eh. Home on the Range, eh, Chicken Little, no. Meet the Robinsons, ugh. Bolt was okay. My dad likes it. Eh. Princess and the Frog. Okay, that's starting to get good again. So that's Princess the Frog, and then Tangled is when they officially kind of found their measure again and got to another golden age. Because then immediately after we have Tangled, Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, Big Hero 6, Zootopia, Moana, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Frozen 2. So you can kind of see the the quality thing dipping back in there. But I point that out because, as I've been trying to talk about with regards to the the behind-the-scenes stuff, it's clear that this new shift deleteriously affected their filmmaking. Now, this film came out in 1999, and while there were some decent films in there, and I'm absolutely going to accept that, they didn't really find their footing again until 2009, ten years later, with Princess and the Frog. Or, if you want to go up to Tangled, eleven years later, with 2010. And this is the final thing I wanted to end on here with this Disney Renaissance thing. It's been a treat, by the way. Absolutely. It's been a great chance going back through these and understanding the, the, the way they were constructed and the politics going on behind them and the technology going behind them. I, I love filmmaking in general. So I'm a, you know, I'm a bit of a film geek. But I think the big lesson here is they kind of had it right right at the beginning. Talent, money, assets. Pour it into something. Make something good. You get something good out of it. It sells. This is a lesson I think a lot of companies could stand to learn. Uh, Don't mistake me. The other lesson here, and I hope you've been paying attention, because I I hope some of you are like, wait, Lore, there's another lesson. You're absolutely right, and that other lesson is management. needs to be properly managed. Something with all the pieces in the world could still be a flop. So... I hope you've enjoyed this look. I believe the next thing coming up is the MCU look. I'm not actually sure from your perspective, because I do these all well in advance, obviously. But regardless, we'll do another movie marathon soon. And I will see you guys next time.